You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Let us pray. Father, help us as we approach the reading of your word to approach it reverently and with an openness to your spirit, without which we can only read with natural eyes and hear with natural ears, so that these words with which we are so familiar intellectually may be new to us again, revealing to us what you would have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. John 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. The Word of God for the people of God. So we come to Nicodemus' visit with Jesus as he comes in the night. Uh, to ask this rabbi about things. Um, As we do, we pick up a few themes that were at the very end of chapter 2, this little statement that when he was in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then we hear of a man who comes 
um, to see him, a man of the Pharisees. That would have been a very strict religious order within Judaism at the time. And he was one of the leaders of the Jews. So he was uh, probably a member of the Sanhedrin that he was, uh, you know, or he was a leader. He had um, a high position there in Jerusalem, and he comes to Jesus, but it notes that he comes to him by night. And so what a way to make of this. One of the themes throughout John is light and darkness. And anytime we, we come to a story that takes place in night, we, we have a sense of darkness. We have a sense of a darkness of understanding. We have a sense of moral darkness. And so it is in darkness that Nicodemus comes, and we should not be surprised later when we hear that he doesn't understand what Jesus says. And he says, uh, we know by the signs that you do, you are from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. And, and for us, it sounds kind of like abrupt um, response for Jesus to just go, uh, truly I say to you, and unless born, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. But what we can see that Nicodemus is really saying is kind of, all right, what's your deal? Who are you really? What's your angle? And Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He comes and directly says, here's the deal. Unless you have a new nature, you will never have eternal life. And unless you are born anew, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not enter the kingdom of God. This chapter plays on a few words that have uh, dual meanings in Greek. And, and this born again, born uh, anew is the first one. The, the word itself um, is anathen. Now, I had a seminary professor say once a year, use a Greek word, put your people at rest, don't, don't bother with Greek the rest, but, but here's the word anathen. It means from above, or it can mean again. So here's Jesus saying, you must be born again, uh, you must be born from above. You have to be born from the spiritual realm. You have to be born from that which is above. And, and Nicodemus takes it only in the new, again, concept. Um, so Jesus kind of repeats it. I truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so this water in the spirit is kind of picking up the same theme, and this is an elaboration. It's, it's the same thing of this born from above, this, this being born anew. It's the being born by water in the spirit that Ezekiel uh, had prophesied. Let me look at Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning of verse 25. If you want to look at that, it's page 723. But Ezekiel was telling us that there's this, this thing that God's going to do where he gives us a new nature. Chapter 36, verse 25, God is saying he's doing this for his own name, that is for his, his own glory. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, this, this has to happen to you. 
you have to be purified. You have to be given a new heart in place of your dead stony heart. And you have to have the Spirit of God coming to dwell within you. This is what our, our baptism points to. We, we, we sprinkle with water. We pour with water as a sign of the purification and the gift of the Spirit that takes place when we are given a new heart and a new spirit within God. This is pointing to that, that spiritual baptism that he's talking about. And so it's no accident that we're hearing this after we've heard of the purification jars that lead to the new joyous life of wine in the wedding feast. And when we hear of Jesus purifying the temple, leading to the, the fullness of the temple of him, to hear that we also must be given this purification, this new heart, this new life that is from above, a cleansing and a rebirth. Because, Jesus says, this is why we have to have this, what's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. And so our reality is, we are born of flesh until the Spirit of God generates new life in us. Now, don't take this as kind of this dualistic idea of, of material and spiritual uh, it's not that concept. It's, the, you know, it's not like you, you have a body and now you have to have this spirit. It's more of our nature as human is what is flesh. So it's not just body, but it's also our fleshly spirits, our fleshly souls that want our own way, that rebel against God. That in our nature, we, we are fleshly. We're of this world. Paul would say we're in Adam. We're, we're part of what is against God and prefers the darkness and wants our own way. And so what we have to have is a new birth into the Spirit so that we are no longer of the flesh, but we are born of the Spirit. In other words, what we need is a completely new nature. You see, the natural approach most people have to Christianity it's kind of this idea of it's spiritual self-improvement. It's moral reform. There's kind of this sense of, you know, I realize I'm, I'm not doing what I ought to do, and so let me, let me start doing what I should do. And one of those things is go to church and, and believe in Jesus, and we, we kind of get this sense that I will clean up my own life. I'm going to start taking my values seriously. I'm going to teach my children. And we, we start thinking that we can just change our behavior. All of those are good things. It's wonderful when we realize that we, we do need to change, that we need to live in a way that is pleasing to God. But the problem is that recognition and just trying to change our behavior doesn't recognize the depth of that problem, which cuts all the way to our heart. It doesn't realize that the, the depths isn't about changing our behavior, but we have to have a completely new nature that is reborn by the Spirit. It's a deep problem that can only be changed, not by just doing things differently, but by having a heart transplant. We need a radical change in the very core of who we are. We must be born again. We must be born from above. We must be born by the power of the Spirit. For a caterpillar to change into a butterfly, 
Science teachers, correct me. I know it'll be cocoon or chrysalis, and I'll use the wrong term, chrysalis. So we have the, you know, it's a difficult thing to go to a chrysalis and to be squeezed and to transform. I imagine that's not a, you know, caterpillars probably don't have enough brains to fear that, but probably not a comfortable situation. That's a difficult thing to do. That's an amazing thing to do if you think about it, to go through all that transformation. But that's still so much easier than for a caterpillar to fly, a caterpillar must become a butterfly. One of the problems that so much of the trouble we have in the church as in, in America, and so much of the problems that we have in our own lives at times is we're caterpillars trying to fly. Or we're looking at other caterpillars trying to say, go be a butterfly, go act like a butterfly without realizing there has to be a transformation in our heart. That we, we can't, you know, do the things that please God until the Spirit of God is within us. And we don't do that by just start acting as though we're Christians. We do that by a new birth within the very core of who we are. We need to be born anew. So let's talk about that. Do y'all remember the days in your mother's womb? How frightening that was? How, how you, you it, it was, you know, you were very comfortable and, and, you know, do you remember how you decided to be born and, um, you know, that, that you kind of, you chose the, the day you were going to be born? And I know most of us, we, we always enjoyed making it as, uh, um, you know, as rough a time for our parents. Of course not. You had very little, to, you had nothing to do with your birth. Here's the thing. That's about how much you have to do with your spiritual birth. It's not something you decide you're going to do. It's not like we, we hand out three easy steps to being born. Jesus is not commanding Nicodemus, now go therefore and be born again. He's explaining spiritual reality to him. And here's the second play that's coming on. Um, the word wind and spirit is the same word. And the word voice and sound is the same word. So when he says the, the wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, that could also be translated as the spirit blows where he wills and you hear his voice. It's the same thing that, that you don't understand where the wind comes from or where it goes. But you see its results. We really have seen its results lately. But we can't control it. We can't aim it. We can't decide what it's going to do. It blows where it wills and we respond. And that is the spiritual reality is this is something beyond our understanding. This is something beyond our control, beyond our guidance. The, the Spirit's work in our heart is nothing less than a miracle. It's nothing less than a miracle that God comes to us and gives us a spirit and takes our heart of gives us a heart of flesh, purifies us, and gives us a spirit that is now able to believe and to will to follow him. And what we have to realize is this is beyond our control. Any more than a man can, you know, have heart surgery on himself, any more than we give out manuals to children of how to be born, is that we need something outside of ourselves to give us this new life. 
And for some, this seems completely incomprehensible because we want to be the masters of our own fate. This is something we we can't comprehend at all because shouldn't we be in control? Aren't we the ones who decide when to believe and what to believe? But Jesus says no one can ascend. You need someone to descend to you, the one who was above And Nicodemus himself is a perfect example of this. Nicodemus was a leader among his people. Nicodemus was educated and a teacher. Amazingly, he's even referred to as the teacher. He knows the Bible. He knows the material in the Bible. He is a part of the Pharisees. He is a moral person. If anyone should have been able to do it by human effort, one of those elite religious leaders who knew the Scriptures should have been the one who would able to make himself be born again. But he doesn't understand. And Jesus says, I'm talking to you about even earthly metaphors and you don't understand these. How can you ever understand the spiritual reality? But he doesn't get... Let me, let me just... I, I, this has been one of the things that, you know, his, as a pastor... I, I was originally under the idea that we all freely just choose to believe when we will. And it amazed me at how I would preach and I would share the gospel and speak about grace to people. And two people who were sitting beside each other on the pew hearing the exact same words would greet me after and shake my hand and say, one would say, oh, that's right. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I can't do it on my own. And the other would say, that's right. We all just need to try harder. And I'm like, what's going on? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? It's the Spirit that gives us new life to give us to understand that we can't do it on our own. We need Him. And so He says, how can these things be? Let me tell you. For some of us, we like the idea of being in control, that we can make our decision and and we want to guide the spirit of when we will be born again. But for those of us who have lived a little bit and have realized that we've tried to be better and we failed on our own, when we realize, when we try our best, how broken we are, when we try to be good in our own resources and our resources end pretty quickly and we come to the end of our rope to make change in our lives, this is wonderful news. Because what's beyond your control and beyond your resources and beyond your strength is in the grasp of the Holy Spirit and He is able to give you new life and to do something in you you could never do for yourself Because He blows where He wills. And you can't understand it, but it's a miracle that has worked in the life. As you come to faith and trust in Christ, this is what is happening. And so Jesus turns to the one who says, how can these things be? And He refers to the law that the teacher of the law should understand. Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? I say to you... um, we say what we have seen. If I, um, Verse 13, No one can ascend into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here's a, a reference to a story in um, the book of Numbers. Chapter 21, 
where um, we hear the story of the people wandering in the wilderness, and they're, they're murmuring against Moses. And, and so here, Jesus now turns to this story, and what we see is the light shining in the darkness and illuminating the Word so that we hear the voice of the Spirit explaining when they were bitten by this serpent. Uh, this is in verses 9 and 10. They were bitten by these serpents. God sent these snakes. They were all bitten, and they were dying because they were rebelling. It was God's punishment. They had this, this curse of this serpent bite. And so what Moses did, God commanded him to fashion um, a bronze serpent on a staff and to go and hold it up in front of the people. And when the people looked up at it, um, in verses 9 and 10, Moses made a bronze serpent. He set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And that's what he's saying is, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up for people to look at and trust. And those who are under the curse of the serpent will be given new life. They will have life by looking at me. And that is what salvation is. It's simply trusting. It's simply believing. It's simply looking at those, the one who is exalted before us. And what an incredible irony he is pointing to. We know it's coming the crucifixion. And here is Jesus pointing with irony of the one who ascended has come down and now he's going to be lifted back up. And in one sense, lifted up means he's exalted, he's glorified. But in the other sense, that lifted up is lifted up on a cross and suffering. And for John, that, that cross is also God being glorified as he's displayed before you, suffering on your behalf so that you look to him and live it's an irony that was prophesied by Isaiah. For Isaiah said, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and be exalted. He goes on to talk about the words of this crucifixion and the suffering he will endure. That he has borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Do you realize your need? Have you tried and failed and failed and failed and realized that you don't have strength and resources on your own? Do you feel the sting of the serpent's curse? Look to the one who is lifted up before you on the cross. Look at his suffering and live. Look to the one who is glorified as his arms are stretched out to embrace all who will receive him as he takes your curse upon him. And by simply believing, you have life in him. And that is, that is our continual life as Christians is looking to the exalted one, the one lifted up before us, and through believing in Him and dwelling in Him and staying in Him, we have life everlasting. Now unto Him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. 
And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.